Thanks for tuning in to WBAI 99.5 FM New York, also streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, your weekly news show where we explore the issues that shape our city, our state, and our nation. I'm Jeff Simmons, and each week my amazing co-host Celeste Katz-Marston and I explore the headlines and the headliners. We bring you conversations with the folks who are in front of the cameras, but also behind the scenes, and often with an eye towards politics and policy. And today we've got a great show ahead for you. We're going to be joined shortly by New York City public advocate Jamani Williams, and he's going to be taking some of your calls, too. And a key topic today that we will be talking about is the ongoing crisis involving New York City and New York State's roles in assisting asylum seekers. It has been a very busy week. And joining me now to dive into those headlines, including her reaction to the indictment of America's mayor, is the doyenne of driving forces, Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, hello. Hello, Jeff. Always a pleasure to be here with you. And this has been a busy week, right? Yeah, I just had to take a moment there to get to get my head straight because there is so, so much going on between what's still, you know, being dealt with in Maui, for example, that's been a really huge story. But also just this cascade, really, of indictments, uh, you know, involving uh, former President Donald Trump and many of his associates, including, of course, our former mayor, Rudy Giuliani, being heavily involved in all this stuff. And I don't know, Jeff, you've probably seen all the same stuff that I have or yeah, talked to the yeah. same people that I have. But um, just the fact that that Giuliani is reportedly um, in deep financial trouble, even putting one of his apartments up for sale. Just, I, I don't know, it's qu quite a reversal of fortune, I guess. Yeah, you know, when you said deep and you pause, I thought you were going to say something else. But yeah, he is in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a family, this is a family program. Jeff. It's a family I don't know show. Whose family, but uh, it's a family <laughs> show. I mean, but think about it next Friday. Uh, all the, what, the 18 folks, 19 in total, but 18 folks uh, have until noon next Friday, I mean, to basically, what, turn themselves in? Uh, I mean, and think about it, Celeste. Trump now has five trials, if you can believe it, between what they're scheduled between now and May of next year. And this basically makes him the most indicted president ever, if you can believe it. Or maybe our listeners probably, they're not surprised by all of this. I think I think they could believe it. I, I certainly think that our listeners can believe it. But who knows? Maybe people will talk about this in the in the call section, Jeff. But um, certainly, you know, what really jumped out at me about all this? I mean, certainly the gravity of the charges. And look, he is entitled to the benefit of uh, his trip through the justice system, just like anybody else in the United States, mm -hmm. from uh, president to uh, anybody to humble reporter, for example. I don't know anybody. But um you know, just what really has jumped out at me, of course, is the polling numbers that we've seen as well. I know we should be careful about polls and we are careful about polls. But I think that what we've seen in the latest AP NORC polls, certainly showing that there is this persistent divide in how important people think these charges are, what they think Trump's conduct, the allegations against him have done for American democracy and whether he should be president again. You know, just these huge huge rifts, not people being on the fence. Democrats one way, Republicans in the totally opposite direction, Jeff. 
No, it's unbelievable. You're mentioning one poll. There was the other poll that just came out yesterday by Quinnipiac, something you and I followed for years, all the Quinnipiac mm -hmm. polls. Mm -hmm. And you're right. There's such a big division among uh, political lines in this. You know, Republicans, for instance, 85 percent think that Trump uh, should not be prosecuted. But when it comes to Democrats, 95 percent think that he should be prosecuted. I mean, none of that really is surprising to us because it's really been you know, divided among partisan lines throughout this whole process. Uh, independence, by the way, folks, they come in at, well, 57% think that the former president should be prosecuted. So maybe that's not as surprising. They can't make up their mind either way or who knows. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to look at. And I think that it, again, points to the fact that Donald Trump is really such a singular figure in our politics. Just think about it. If this was any other president, would Republicans be so far out um you know, to the extreme versus Democrats being so far out to the extreme? I tend to think think that there would still be partisan divisions here, Jeff, mm -hmm. but I don't think that the numbers would be quite as dramatic. Yeah, the other issue, obviously, and I'm so glad that on last week's show, this was something you wanted to carve out enough time for our listeners, which is why we also left the second half of this show open for our listeners to call in, is the ongoing crisis involving the surge of migrants that have been uh, arriving here in New York City. Um, you know, I know you wanted to discuss this again, too, Celeste. You know, what's been on your mind and given all the developments recently? Yeah, I was looking at that uh, piece that you just sent me. I mean, the idea of I really had to stop for a minute when I read the headlines. I was like, yeah. did I did I read this right? Putting people in shipping containers as temporary housing shipping containers. I, my first thought, to be honest with you, was thinking back to basically horror stories of migrants coming across the border in like big rigs, like the back of 18 wheeler trucks that are supposed to be used for shipping goods and just disastrous, disastrous effects, people uh, dying on their way across the border. And, uh, you know, at the same time, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this on today's program, that people's hearts may really go out to these migrants. You know, many of these people are asylum seekers. They are trying to get out of bad situations in their home country with poverty, crime, corruption, uh, just a plethora of terrible, terrible conditions. But at the same time, uh, you know, Mayor Eric Adams is talking about this costing the city uh, $12 billion, with a B, $12 wow. billion dollars by uh, the summer of 2025. And I really just have to wonder, how is this going to get solved? Is this, can even, even massive amounts of federal aid solve this problem? Or is New York City just completely overwhelmed and going to stay that way for a while, Jeff. Yeah. And I also, I don't know if you've had a time to have time to see this or our listeners, but yesterday the mayoral administration had come out with a report here in New York city that, and most people might not have realized this seeing, you know, maybe individuals on the street lining up outside the Roosevelt hotel, but the majority of the, um, the majority of the people who are in the city's care right now of, among the asylum seekers are families with children, about almost three quarters. Seventy two percent of the asylum seekers in the city's care are families with children. It's it's just an astounding thing to think of. And also, Celeste, I'm sure you know this, but even in our you know, before this happened in our shelter system, many people, if you're seeing people on the street, individuals, you're not really realizing that the majority of people are people of color and families, especially single women with kids in our city shelter system. It's just been an explosion in those numbers. 
Right. And maybe this is something we'll be able to talk about, too, with the public advocate when he joins us. But, um, you know, we see a lot about about what kinds of housing and who's going to get housing. And we see a new uh, opening of a relief center at Creedmoor, at the Creedmoor facility. And that's supposed to be for a thousand people. But I believe that is limited to single men. So good question on your part, Jeff. What is going to happen to women and uh, families with little kids? Yeah, very good point. And uh, I know we're going to come back at the end of the show. We're going to talk a little about some of our upcoming possible guests that we hope to have on here. We'll come back to that. But you just mentioned the public advocate. So that'll bring us to today's guest, New York City public advocate, Jumani Williams. As you may know, our listeners may know, he previously served on the New York City Council representing the 45th District in Brooklyn. Uh, he also, while there, he championed landmark legislation that transformed policing in the city. He's the former co-chair of the council's task force to combat gun violence, and he helped create New York's crisis management system. As well, he is a first-generation Brooklynite, and earlier he began his career as a community organizer at the Greater Flatbush Beacon School and later served as the executive director of the New York State Tenants and Neighbors. And in just a short while, he's agreed to take on a number of your phone calls. So call on with on-topic questions as much as you can uh, so you could pose them to the public advocate and keep your questions brief, please. So with that, let's bring on public advocate Jumani Williams. Welcome to Driving Forces. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you so much. I want to start with just something Celeste and I talked about a little uh, a little while ago uh, before we get to the migrant crisis, because I just saw uh, a quote from you in Caribbean Life. We'd love to get your reaction to uh, the indictment of President Trump this week. What's been going through your mind? You know, it's just fascinating where we are with uh, this country. He's now four times indicted and a leading candidate, the leading candidate in the Republican Party. Uh, I just have to combine that with Ron DeSantis trying to let Floridians know uh, that slavery was not as bad as we think, uh, and it is actually better than death. Uh, it was a cartoon said by Columbus that they're going to be teaching in the schools. And I say that because the reason Trump is leading, I think it is very much because of what he spews and how he's using it. It's a sad day for the country, uh, but I'm hoping the country steps up one more time and makes sure that someone like that is not leading. Public Advocate, thank you so much for uh, being with us here today. We really appreciate it, and we definitely appreciate the fact that you're going to be taking calls in just a little while. But we're going to jump over to the an issue that really got listeners involved uh, last week, and we hope will again today, which is, of course, the situation with asylum seekers in the city. I know you have a, a lot to say about this and about how it connects with homelessness. But just first, broadly, what is your opinion on how this situation is going to get resolved if it is going to get resolved because right now the city is clearly overwhelmed well first we have to say that um to be clear this is a attack to the housing and homelessness crisis that we've seen for a very long time and had we addressed that this would not have gotten as bad as it did so that's frustrating because many of us have been pushing and trying to address the homelessness crisis and it just never got addressed um and it was made more acute I have to say, by Republican governors who wanted to prove a point, I guess, and wanted to uh, try to bring cities down. Um, but it is exacerbated now by basically the inaction of the White House. Uh, I think the late response of uh, our governor, 
And I would say a few missteps by the city. Uh, but it's clear the city can't solve this by itself. And we're now at a point where uh, they may have to make some uh, decisions that I, I try to say seems like the best of bad decisions. But if we can get some additional help, particularly from the White House, I think we can make some better decisions. Do you think that even a massive amount of federal aid, I don't know how much we could possibly qualify for in terms of dealing with this crisis, but do you think federal aid, the money itself, will be enough? Or does the White House have to send in, I don't know, cots, build facilities, uh, send in personnel? What what needs to happen, do you think? Well, one, New York City cannot be left to deal with a federal issue or a state issue. And it shouldn't be having to deal with how to uh, get all the resources that this influx of people who are here legally trying to seek asylum. Uh, so, yes, we definitely need the funds. What we actually need is work authorization so people can go in different places and work. I make calls to executives myself, and they said if they can get work or if we can get some help with housing, uh, one, or two, one or and both of those things, then we could take some folks. Obviously, we don't have the options to say that. But the work authorization is the biggest thing that can be done right now. And I have to make clear, it's not taking jobs from people who are here. Those jobs are open right now, and no one is filling them. Secondly, if they can help coordinate a response, a decompression strategy, strategy from the border, so that this, all of these folks are not coming only to NYC. And I would say similarly, a decompression strategy from NYC uh, throughout the state. The problem is everyone is leaving it up just to one city uh, to try to address all these problems, and that's not going to work. We're going to open up the phone lines now, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. This is Driving Forces with Celeste Katz. Marston and Jeff Simmons, we are speaking right now to public advocate Jumani Williams, and our discussion right now is on asylum seekers and the intersection of that crisis with the homelessness crisis in New York. And public advocate, want to ask you one more thing about this before I let Jeff actually have a chance to talk here. Um how do you feel about discussions of drawing back or rolling back the city's policy of giving people a right to shelter, that anybody who asks for this help will get that help, must get that help? Do you think it's time to reconsider that policy? I vehemently disagree with uh, the mayor and the city administration here. What I do agree is that this is a statewide uh, responsibility. So we definitely need the state and the governor to step up and help uh, the state uh, obliged that responsibility. It's not just for the city, it's for the entire state. And I think had that uh, been uh, done before, we would have had a decompression strategy strategy that I'm speaking of. Uh, so, no, we're not at that point yet, uh, which is why I also disagree with the new 60-day rule uh, that was uh, recently uh, made policy. Because I feel like the city wants, wants and has been trying to chip away at right itself for a long time. Um, not this administration not just this administration, but previous ones, and people in general. Um, it is uh, a very important um, policy uh, that helps keep people sheltered, and it's not, it's not time yet to try to abandon it. And public advocate, on this note, because we're talking about the issues of homelessness as well, last year you had introduced a measure that would basically set up a commission on shelter siting, obviously, throughout the city when – Often, most often, whenever there is a proposal 
to create some type of a, uh, a shelter facility. There's a lot of nimbyism in this city, but often the criticism is that a community has, you know, finds out at the last second about these things. So talk a little about the measure that you introduced and what it would do. You know, there are some things that everyone knows we need, but nobody wants it, particularly by them. Um, and this is one of those things. Even if we all of a sudden were able to get all the houses we wanted online and ready to get built, we would still need shelters to be able to keep people while that is happening. So what usually happens now are people say, I'm not opposed to this, just not here. Um, that's a refrain that you hear over and over again. So I do think even with that, you have to let people know what's happening and let them be a part of the conversation. Take some heat. You may also be able to listen to them and hear where a better site may be prepared. So that's something that we want to be open to as well. But one of the ways that we should do that is citywide. There's a lot of these things that we do uh, and we do neighborhood by neighborhood. And I think we have to take a bird's eye view to see where all of the resources are, where all the shelter site is, to make sure that folks are doing this in an active way because there are some communities that have density when it comes to some of the things that most people don't want in their neighborhoods, uh, but we all need a city. If you just tuned in, this is Driving Forces on WBAI 99.5 FM with me, Jeff Simmons, my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marson, and we're talking with New York City public advocate, Jumani Williams, who's taking your calls. The number to call is 212-209-2877. We got some callers on the line. Let's get to that first caller. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your question or your statement? But keep it brief for uh, public advocate, Jumani Williams. Welcome. Hi, you're on the air. Okay, I think maybe we're going to go to the next caller. I'm not Let's sure get that, that next that's caller. working yeah. out. But okay, we're going to try this again. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? My name is Mitch. I'm calling from Brooklyn. Great. And what's, like uh, what's your question for the public advocate? I would like to know uh, what type of funding are these, do these people are getting to be uh, subsistence. I mean, they're here, they can't work. How are they getting money to live off of day by day? And also, as far as them staying in these uh, the Roosevelt hotels, and these, how long are they going to be there? How long are they going to be there? We have an eviction crisis that's coming up. Where are we going to put all of these people? Okay, thank you, Mitch, for your call. We really appreciate it. Public Advocate, would you like to speak to any of those questions? Yeah, thank you so much for that. I want to make sure we put it in context. So I want to make sure folks remember that people are beginning their new American experience. Uh, and most of the things that you hear referencing what are we going to do with these folks and this and that, that's been the refrain decades past. You just slip in any number of immigrants and those same things were asked. But it turns out they were building their American experience. And so we have not a blob amorphous group of... Uh, Hi, this is Alan Ruff. We have... Hello? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Yes, we have uh, individual people, many children, babies, pregnant women who are escaping harm and trying to come to our country for assistance, like we said people should be able to do. I just want to make sure we put that in context. What would make you go through the jungle for months? to get here. Uh, with that said, that is some good questions that are being asked, and one of the reasons that we're asking for assistance 
from the federal government and some additional assistance from the state? Because those questions have to be answered. Um, and right now, New York City is struggling to answer them. And so what I want to make sure is we're clear that this is a humanitarian crisis and it needs a humanitarian response. The day before the first bus came, the final thinkers, there were 50,000 people in the shelters. Average wait time was over a year, almost two years. And so we've had this problem before. So I want people to stay angry about people who have needed assistance before the asylum seekers are here, but I want them to make sure they're angry at the right folks. They should be angry at the government for not assisting them, not for the asylum seekers who are doing what they should be doing legally to try to get assistance. And we as a, as a, as a, as a country have not yet provided the best response, and we're leaving it up to a place like New York City to respond when it's a federal crisis that's happening right and if you just tuned in, the number to call to be able to pose a question to New York City Public Advocate Jumani Williams here on Driving Forces is 212-209-2877. Again, 212-209-2877. Let's get to another call. I think we have one more on so far. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name and what's your question? Briefly, please, for the Public Advocate. Hi, my name is Rose. I live in Flemington, New Jersey, and I've been in the building trades. What I have observed over the years is many of these people bring a lot of talent with them in the construction area, masonry, tile, cabinetry work. It's, there was always a situation back in the 50s and 60s that when the government needed housing for its military, they would bring in trailers. Trailers are well-built, well-insulated. If you can put them on heat pumps, all the better with some solar panels. What we can segue these people into eventually working on building green-built houses, which is something which was done after World War II. I happen to live in one here in Flemington. There also is one in Greenbelt, Maryland. Um, we have not thought this through. People have to whine and carry on. Oh, the poor little people who got to put a multi-billion-dollar condo, they get mm -hmm. tax breaks. And it just seems so silly that we can't get these people – the temporary work permits so that they can actually build this, this, the concrete pads and all that stuff, you know, the basements for these, these trailers. Mm -hmm. And then when we don't need the trailer anymore, we can send them off to places where, you know, there's massive fires or whatever. We can turn this into something positive as they stay on and then eventually are able to build some inexpensive. I have, the Greenbelt apartments were beautiful. They were, it was a contest. They're spacious. Mm -hmm. And it was all a part of the Marshall Plan. We can do that again. Great. And, Rose, let me take it from there. And, uh, public advocate, any any reaction to what Rose uh, from Flemington, New Jersey, just said? Yeah, and I'll combine that with one of the questions that were there before. Um, and I want to make clear that what we're hearing, and this is actually not just from Democrats, from Republicans as well, is they can't fill many of the jobs that are needed. And those are jobs that Americans are not taking. Those are jobs uh, when it comes to farming, when it comes to uh, manufacturing, when it comes to construction. They are not able to fill the jobs as many as are needed. And so these are not jobs taken away from, from, from people who have been here. These are jobs that are not being filled. And I agree that we should have the work authorization now so folks can fill those jobs, contribute to the economy, and also uh, feed their families. They don't want to uh, be a burden to anyone but they're being prevented from actually being able to help themselves. And uh, to the question the gentleman asked before, what happens to the lucky few, and this is the lucky few, they end up working in an underground economy that is very exploited. 
And so what we see is people exploiting their, uh, their, um, their uh, status and putting them in dangerous uh, situations and conditions for little pay. And that's uh, not something that we want to see happen as well. And public advocate, you know, I want to just move on to another topic uh, because I know we only have a few minutes left. Uh, I've watched this over the last uh, few decades that these things keep emerging occasionally. But once again, there's another call, this time by uh, Councilman Bob Holden and Councilman Common Yeager. Uh, to abolish to what uh, to abolish the office of public advocate, uh, talk about in your view the relevance of this office and why you think this issue keeps coming up among other. In this case, uh, you know, two council members saying we need to get rid of the office and you know putting it out there. Talk about the relevance of this office. Well, I would say uh, to Councilman Yeager's credit, he has brought this up before. Um, he's brought it up uh, before when he's talked about it, and I know that uh, I think uh, Councilman Holding has. Uh, some other personal issues that he's dealing with, uh, but I, you know, I would say I always think it's legitimate to talk about the structure of our government and make sure that it's working. Whether it's my office, whether it's the board president's office, whether it's the council members, so that is legitimate, uh, and I'm happy to have those discussions. I actually go in a different direction. I think there's some things that we can do uh, to empower the office, um, but I think it's important to have somebody there uh, as a watchdog for the people of the city. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's harder when it's 51 people that have to work uh, together, and I think they're actually doing a good job. But having an executive-level person uh, that doesn't have to go through a tremendous amount of bureaucracy and can ask the questions and can raise the issues and has a legal way to do, though, to do that, I think is really, really important. Uh, we also assist a lot of uh, constituents who are unable to get assistance uh, from other places, and we appoint people uh, to boards. I think we've actually done a job, a good job of putting people whose voices haven't been heard in spaces like the City Planning Commission. So it's a very important position uh, to make sure that we have balance on an executive level, uh, very specifically making sure that government is working on behalf of the people of the city. And in the few moments we have left with the public advocate, we do have one more caller holding, so we're going to try to squeeze that in real quick. Please keep it brief. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Daryl McPherson, Bronx, New York. And Daryl, what is your quick question for the My public advocate? My quick question is, would the public advocate consider running for mayor quickly because uh, because we need a different mayor and his thoughts are, are kinder than our current, uh, our current mayor? And also, there's 100 billionaires who live in New York City, chief being $96 billion some billionaire Michael Bloomberg. Could we get a billionaire council to take care of the, the housing problem? Hey, thank you, Daryl, for your question, public advocate, uh, thinking about running for mayor. Oh, well, I'm honored. I just want to say thank you for that. Um, I would just admit, mayor is a very difficult job, so I want to say that. I have no interest right now to run for mayor. It's part of the job to be ready. God forbid something happens and I have to step in, but I ran for public advocate and very excited about that job, and I plan to uh, run again uh, for re-election. Uh, to the second part of the question, one of the things that we're telling this administration, this mayor, as we move forward, uh, they have to change some of the things that they asked, we asked for uh, during the state budget, that we have revenue-raising revenue options from some of the very same people that the caller spoke about, and we couldn't get that assistance. And my hope is as we move forward, that we will stop protecting the billionaires, as mentioned, and ask them to do their civic responsibility that everybody has to do because someone pays for that. 
and it's usually the people who can't afford to find a place to live. And um, we have not seen a case where millions and billionaires move out of of, of the of New York. As I said, what we see is hundreds of thousands of people who can't afford to live here move out of New York. And I really hope the administration changes its tune, seeing how much we actually could have used that money right now. Public Advocate Jamani Williams, we really appreciate you joining us here today on the program. And if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? Thank you so much. They can go to advocate.nyc.gov, advocate.nyc.gov, on Twitter, uh, NYCPA, and on Instagram, uh, New York City uh, Public Advocate, and similarly on Facebook. And I, I really appreciate it. And I hope, uh, again, people who have been here for a long time, uh, we want you to stay angry because you should have gotten assistance. But just make sure you're not directing it at the asylum seekers uh, because people get hurt. And we want to make sure it doesn't happen. Public Advocate Jamani Williams, thanks for being here with us today on Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to being again. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons, and we just had a conversation with a New York City public advocate, Jumani Williams, who says he is not, at least immediately, running for mayor, but did talk a lot about not only the asylum seeker crisis, but the intersection of that crisis with the city's homelessness problem. Really great to have some of your calls, and we'll be having more of your calls coming up in just a minute, Jeff. Anything really jump out at you? I thought that there were some some interesting points there, but certainly, again, I think we can certainly add Jumani Williams to the list of people who say that this is a federal problem that should have a mm-hmm. federal funding solution. Yeah, and we didn't get into this with him, and I'd love to hear our callers' uh, views on this as well. But lately, what we have seen is mounting criticism, or should I say, pressure on New York State Governor Kathy Hochul that she needed to be more assertive on this and also, I would think, more equitable across the state. Uh, so that is something we're seeing her speak out a little more on this now amid mounting criticism that the state has not been as uh, engaged in this. And then, of course, what happened in the last, what, 24 or so hours, maybe a little more than that, uh, her office fired off a letter that seemed to suggest that the city was slow and and mishandled its response on this. And then, of course, then the mayor and the governor kind of said, oh, well, you know, we're not really fighting, but you read this letter, 12-page letter, and you see that uh, there was a lot of criticisms of finger-pointing on that. Yeah, I would I would say so. And certainly, and look, we're seeing new developments all the time. We're seeing this, again, this, uh, I don't know, I would call it pretty stunning, but maybe mm-hmm. it's not, but stunning discussion of having people... Uh, sleeping or living in shipping containers or prefabs on the street. We're seeing the opening of a a shelter facility at Creedmoor, which uh, obviously, I don't know if you guys saw this. Jeff, you certainly have seen it, but uh, certainly people not very happy about that. One of them being, of course, Curtis Sliwa, who has been on this program many times, the founder of the Guardian Angels, uh, a former candidate for mayor of the city of New York, um, getting arrested out there. And people are saying, people are saying, look, this is not about race. This is not about where people came from. If you brought a thousand people from anywhere and plopped them down on the grounds of Creedmoor, we would be concerned with that. And, you know, for a number of reasons, but not the least of which is that this is a mental health facility meant to deal with people's mental health problems, not to serve as an emergency shelter for people coming into the country to see asylum. 
A very good point. So we're going to open up the phone lines again. Celeste and I realized last week you have a lot to say on this. So in just a few minutes, we'll start taking your calls because last week we could not get to all of the calls about the migrant crisis here in New York City. So we want to give you a chance to weigh in on this. The number to call is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Celeste and I are going to take a short break now. And when we come back, your calls for now. Let's leave you with some Carly Rae Jepsum. Back, Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. That was Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe, which I say to Jeff all the time, but 
Jeff, you call me, but everybody out there in Radio Land, you need to call right now. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. We are once again talking about the asylum seeker crisis in this city and the homelessness crisis. Those two things do have a relationship. 212-209-2877. There is no way that good New Yorkers listening to WBAI do not have an opinion about the idea of letting people live in shipping containers. Tent cities going up uh, all over the place. Uh, a thousand people moving onto the grounds of the Creedmoor facility. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. And I know that we've got one caller on the line so far, or a first caller on the line. Let's get to that call right now. Welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. You're on the air. What's your name and what's your question or point? Hello. Uh, my Hi, you're Paul. on the air. Hi, my name's Paul. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, Paul. Uh, if you could speak up okay. just a little, that would be great. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll get my my mouth closer to the receiving device. Anyway, um, I, I I I don't know what to say about the Creedmoor situation. I lived in Belrose, which is the community where Creedmoor is located, or on the border of it, and uh, it's. It, it actually has a big campus, so there's a way they could accommodate people there. And there are uh, houses that are sort of off campus outside the perimeter, or at least outside of the, uh, the gates where, where people could live. I don't, I don't know how well they're occupied. I remember passing by there on Hillside Avenue when I was uh, on my way to my folks' house in, back in the day. But uh, I feel two ways about this, and one of them says I think we should throw the problem back to those governors that seem to be fomenting trouble is, is the way I would do it. And to, uh, to dramatize that, I think uh, Biden could take a page out of the Kennedy playbook just going back to uh, the days of my youth, I remember this, that uh, uh, Kennedy and the Justice Department kind of forced integration of the, of the colleges down south uh, by having, you know, the National Guard come in and intervene. And I think, um, you know, certainly Biden could well justify bringing troops to interdict, uh, like, the buses or, or uh, break up this uh, buoy uh, line that, that the governor of Texas has created in the Rio Grande and, mm-hmm. you know, um, roll back those negative and, and very uh, xenophobic type of uh, uh, dictates and, and ideas that are being promoted by the governors of both Texas and Florida. So I, I think that that would be one way to counteract their, uh, their reactionary uh, type policies in this regard. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Some very good points. And let somebody else comment. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for calling in, Paul. I appreciate We appreciate it. So we're going to keep going on because we know that the phone lines are lighting up right now. Let's get to our next call. You are on WBAI's Driving Forces. And by the way, for anyone who just tuned in, let me give you that phone number, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. You're on the air. Welcome. What's your name and where are you from? And Hi. what's your point? 
Hello, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Okay, my name is Dorothy Manso, and I live in Little Neck, not far from Creedmoor. And I want to know what the alternative is. Is that, can they accommodate those people? Is it possible for them to do something good there? Well, that's a that's a good question, and we really appreciate your call. Thank you so much for for calling in. And I think that the the question I can't answer the question yet because we haven't really seen the center in action. It's brand brand new this relief center at mm-hmm. Creedmoor. But I don't know, Jeff, and tell me if you think this is wrong. I mean, it seems like the city is running out of options. The city we already you know are spending a significant amount of money on this and just trying to find places for people to stay. Having people stay in regular shelters was not going to cut it. Even having people stay in hotels, again, just one example, but if you remember those images of people sleeping on the street outside the mm-hmm. Roosevelt Hotel, like that does not look to me like that was a, a sufficient solution for the number of people coming in. And I think you had some stats, Jeff, about the number of people coming in just yeah. over Overwhelming. Even some people are leaving, but plenty more people are arriving. I mean, this is this is continuing. As of July 30th, there was, what, about 57,000 migrants in the city's care at that point. Uh, but just answering uh, a portion of the question that uh, Dorothy just raised, they're expecting that about 1,000 single males will live at the Creedmoor facility. Um, but for, we're going to get to another call in just a moment, but I just want to clarify something because kind of Celeste and I just jumped into it, and I never even, like, thought to explain a little. The Daily News just put this story online right before our show that the Adams administration was considering housing migrants in prefab housing and shipping containers in city streets. So I want to just at least give a little attribution there that this is something you'll see in the daily news. Um, Celeste, before we get to this call, I just want to say what immediately my mind also went to. I mean, it, of course, the word shipping containers, it seems... Mm-hmm seems tr- problematic but you know they can be prefabricated they fabricated in a certain way but it reminds me of when i first arrived in the city all the concern about the overcrowded school system and how kids were being put in trailers and the initial reaction to that but then if you ever stepped into one of those trailers or some that are right near me here in jackson heights still it looks like it's part of the building they were done in a certain way where it feels like a classroom and it's got all the you know the air conditioning and everything in there so you know, just yeah. even the visual of a shipping container might scare you, but you don't know how they're going to repurpose them. Right, right. Look, there's no question. Obviously, you can't just take a shipping container, one of these mammoth, uh, oh, yeah. you know, metal things, and plop it down in the middle of a of a, a neighborhood and and call it quits there. And, and I mean, I personally did attend an elementary school actually that had prefabs, that had prefab classrooms, freestanding, uh, small uh, trailer type things. Then. But it was not like, you know, you were out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, these things, you know, had power, running water, all all the things that you needed. But, uh, you know, again, just sort of startling that this is what it's coming to. On on the upside, people are coming up with solutions. On the downside, uh, can they come up with solutions fast enough to deal with this overwhelming influx? 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. We're going to go back to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, this is Cruz from Central Harlem. I called Hi, actually Cruz. last week. Um, as far as the, the free prefab containers um, that they actually use for schools, 
that's also issues too with that. They had them in the Bronx. They were falling apart. They had toxic stuff coming onto it, whatever. So if you want to do it uh, like it's a temporary space, wonderful. Instead of doing these giant mammoth tents, right, like they did in Crete Moore and Randall's Island, yeah, you probably could, and that actually should have been the idea even used for people um, that are uh, houseless, right, to create tiny homes for them, um, single or double occupancy, because they are big enough for it. It's an 8 by 40 or 8 by 20 foot space. So it's better than what they have shown on the news on the Creedmoor, where it's head-to-head, looks like a um, they're packing them in like uh, Africans were brought in, you know, back during slave times, you know, head-to-head maybe a 12-inch space in between. That's horrible, all right? That's inhumane. I get it. Um, Packing people in into communities like herders is overwhelming for people. The fact that you have social service people um, coming out and being interviewed on the news rather than alleviating the distress that community members may be having, okay, um, they're inflaming the situation. These very same people, okay, um, that they're saying we don't want are the same people that they're hiring, okay, later on if these people get permits to clean the houses of grandma or mom who um, other people cannot do. So, you know, again, Mm -hmm. these are brown and black people that are being you know, um, treated inhumanely. And we're observing that as people that are residents here. So, you know, be mindful of that. You know, all these uh, council people and governmental officials that are looking for re-election. Good day. Cruz, thank you. Thank you so much for calling in. And thank you for being a religious uh, listener or listening to WBAI's Driving Forces religiously. So thank you so much. Let's get to our next call. I've got a few more calls on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hello? Yep, you're on the air. What's your name? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm Mickey from the Bronx. There's enough room for everyone. So everyone makes some room. That's my thing. Um, I don't think it should fall on the lap of New York only, I feel like this is a deliberate, a deliberate way, way to, um, so you're being set up to fail, in other words. All the states that, that ship people, like if they're, you know, like cargo, that ship them down here, I, I, I would like to see Congress or the president take a stand on this, you know, and every, everyone should chip in. And I want to say that we can all be in an, in an eviction uh, um, position because, you know, climate change and everything else. So to call these people migrants, they're trying to seek a better way of life. You know, I talk to a lot of people, and it's, it's the same old same, you know, people being pitted against each other, you know. You know, mm-hmm. first it's the Mexicans or the whatever. You know, it's always something. And... Mexico feeds us, yet we want to fight them, you know? So I I just think we need to stop being so greedy and selfish, you know? There is solutions if we all pitch in. 
Excellent. Thank you so mm -hmm. much, Mickey. Really appreciate your call. Thank Always you. good to hear from the Bronx, land of my birth. Always uh, happy to get a call from the Bronx. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We're going to go back to the phones. we got a few minutes to try to get in as many people as we can, but try to keep it a little bit brief if you if you are able to. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, uh, Roger from New Milford. Hey, Roger, what's up? Hey, uh, I think there's a total lack of planning here. You can't just have a free-for-all and invite the, the, the entire world to come in without any screening. Where are they putting the homeless New Yorkers? Uh, they're, they're talking about these uh, extra facilities for the migrants coming in. What about our own people? It's a question of resources, and it's a question of resource allocation. It's not that, it's not that you stop the, these governors from sending people into New York. It's a federal issue to control the border. Let those who have legitimate reasons to seek asylum be vetted and have a plan to bring them in, to house them, to give them a living wage at some sort of a job. What are they going to do with these migrants now? They have no family here, a lot of these single men. They have no job prospects. They have no place to live. Who is supposed to be supporting all of this? I put the blame right at the feet of the federal government on this. Thank you, Roger. We really appreciate it. We appreciate your calls and we appreciate your listenership all the time. And if you are still listening, 212-209-2877 is the number to call, 212-209-2877. I don't know, Jeff, we think we have time for one more call. I think we can squeeze in one more call, but then we've got to remind our listeners why it's important to support WBAI. So let's get to that last call. Welcome to WBAI. What is your name and where are you from? And briefly, what is your point? Well, I'm calling to this great WBAI show. My name is Bertolt. Oh, Bertolt. Hi, it's okay. nice to meet you, Bertolt. <laughs> yeah, nice to, nice to talk to you. Man, I think you come across on this show. Let me be very quick. Albany, Syracuse. Buffalo, Oneonta, Hartwick, Cornell, Ithaca, Utica, Siena. You know, just the top of my head, about 10 different big cities that can take five, ten thousand 10,000 migrants each. I think we're very, very, very narrow-minded and with no imagination. Also, the federal government should uh, withdraw funds from Florida and Texas that are sending those people in, uh, and then uh, we direct those funds to New York State. Uh, we're taking care of them. You also have New Jersey. Also, when is the last time Verizon paid taxes in the city? So none of these corporations who are taking all this, rocking all this money and nobody, none of those private companies are, 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 are offering any millions, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of, to the city to help them take care of this. Bloomberg, making millions of dollars in the city. Jesus Christ. Nobody's I don't know, Bertolt, it sounds, this, what you're saying here sounds like the words of a man who's running for something. So I hope you will be announcing it right here on WBAI New York. Are you running for mayor? <laughs> yeah, I'm running to be general manager of WBAI. <laughs> oh, you already, you already won that, that big prize. <laughs> this, yeah, this is, uh, no, but, I mean, but seriously, I mean, even Jumani William and all that stuff, very progressive people I admire, Nobody's talking about, and I mean, he says that we should start uh, 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 forking some of that money. Bloomberg is not, not offering any money, you know, Verizon, no one. 
all of these people, Wall Street is making millions of dollars. They should reinstate the, the, the trade taxes. And these people, so currently the, 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 the trickle-down economy is obviously not working. So we, we need to start taxing the rich. And then that's plenty of money for the homeless and for the migrants. Bertolt, we want to thank you for calling in. We hope you're a BAI buddy, by the way. Yeah, here, Bertolt, while you're on the phone, tell people why they should give money to the station real quick. He's gone. Oh, we've <sighs> lost him. We'll tell you that, right, Celeste? Yes, we certainly we certainly will. But you know what? You should. You should give money to this station. You know why? Because if you don't, there's not going to be a radio station. This station needs help. The man you just heard on uh, on the call a moment ago, that was our general manager, Bertold, and he is constantly telling us we have to come up with new ways, better ways to bring money into this station. You know why? Because there's no ads on the station. There's no ads, no commercials. Other radio stations get lots of money from running lots and lots of commercials. We don't. That's why we periodically we have to stop and very seriously ask you to go to wbai.org wbai.org and become a bai buddy in the name of this program driving forces it only takes a minute to sign up you can have it deducted from your credit card account every month you can give any amount you want but we need the help it costs seventeen thousand dollars a month just to pay for the rent on the broadcast tower at four times square that has nothing to do with all the other stuff that you need to do to run a radio station which we're trying to do with most of the people that you hear including me jeff lots of your other uh, favorite hosts producers don't get paid. We do not get paid. We are donating our time. So we need you to donate to this station. Keep us on the air, wbai.org. Become a BAI buddy. And remember to choose Driving Forces from the drop-down menu to support this show. And sorry, folks, for the sirens if you're hearing them behind me. That's the. because uh, this is an emergency, Jeff. <laughs> it is an emergency. So we're going to have to wrap up shortly. But one thing that we do here is that some people do want to get something for their donation. So what Celeste and I do and a lot of your hosts do is we line up what are called premiums, which are gifts. If you go to the WBAI website at WBAI.org and you, you'll see it on the homepage, you'll see one of the buttons you could click on. You could look at all the potential gifts you can get for donations. One thing we've lined up, I'll briefly tell you about this. It'll show up on the website. Coming up on September 7th at the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn is going to be an amazing one-night-only uh, one event called From Canvas to Stage, A Tribute to Basquiat, produced by Wordsmith and a guest I had on this past Sunday, Danny Simmons, uh, amazing guest, co-founder of Def Jam Poetry, uh, the performance series, long-standing relationship with the arts and cultural programs at Greenwood. This is going to be an amazing evening. Two tickets, only a $100 donation. That is it. That's the value of those tickets. So please donate to us. You can get those tickets. Go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. That sounds a fantastic event. Definitely check that out. 212-209-2950 or just go to WBAI.org to donate. Please, we say this every week, but we mean it every week. This station needs your help. Before we go, we want to thank today's guest, New York City Public Advocate Jamani Williams, and our engineer, Reggie Johnson, as well as, of course, all of our listeners and callers and our donors, too. We are going to be out of the office next Thursday, but we will be back on the 31st. Jeff, I think you'll be back here this coming Sunday, right? Yes, I'll be back bright and early Sunday morning at 8 a.m. with my co-host, Carlos Menchaca and City Watch. Got a great lineup for you folks. You definitely want to make a point of tuning in. Our guests... 
former presidential candidate and mayoral candidate, if you remember that, Andrew Yang. And then we're going to be joined by former New York State Governor David Patterson, who never minces words, always makes news, whatever he says, a great show ahead. If you missed any part of today's show or you want to share it or subscribe, well, Celeste, I'm giving her credit because I'm not good at this. Celeste uploads every edition to Apple, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Thank you so much for listening today. And please stay with WBAI New York throughout the evening for some more great programming. See you on the radio.